You are listening to an American Theater podcast. American Theater is a publication of Theater Communications Group. www.americantheater.org. Hi, this is Deep Trance, senior editor at American Theater Magazine. Jose Solis, a freelance theater critic, and we're your token theater friends, people who love theater so much that even if we're in a house and cell phones go off, we do not get distracted. What happened? Oh, <laughs> did someone's cell phone went? What happened? <laughs> I don't know this reference. Slave play. Oh, Rihanna went to slave play on Broadway, and then she was texting Jeremy O'Hara's during, and people were pissed. But it's Rihanna. Yeah, right. Like work, it's Rihanna. Work, 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 exactly. Rihanna can text, 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 text. <laughs> Rihanna can do whatever she wants. We're just happy she showed up. I wish we would have known. Why were we invited to that night? Like, so one of my Twitter followers tweeted me back, and she was like, I sat in front of Rihanna. <gasps> yeah. Wow. Wow. I would like to sit behind her so I could see what she's texting. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But, I mean, the place about her, like, she should... Yeah. Yeah. She should, yeah. But then people are just pissed off because, like, oh, she thinks she's better than us and doesn't need, like, courtesy or doesn't need to follow the rules. But it's like, people, the rules are arbitrary. They are. And people- if Rihanna shows up, she breaks the rules. Yeah. She makes them. And also, people love policing what black women do everywhere. So, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I bet if it was some like lesser white starlet, they would have been like, text away, princess, or whatever. Yeah, I don't know. Exactly. Leave Rihanna alone, motherfuckers. <laughs> she don't need you. No. Anyway, uh, we're not here to talk about Rihanna, but that, that might be a fun podcast. Let us know if you want to do that one, one day. Uh, what are we talking about today? First up, we are talking about three plays that we saw recently. We're going to start with Wives at Playwrights Horizons. Then we're going to go to Play. Now I feel like this is a Rihanna thing. Does she have a song called Play? Anyway, I don't know. We're going to go to Play. A song called SNM, which is a kind of play. It is a kind of play. And work can be play. I don't know. Stop it. Work is not play. <laughs> I don't know. Okay, I'll stop. Then we're going to talk about Play and Theater in the Dark. By this is not a theater company running a theater lab, and we are gonna end by talking about. Ugh, fuck! I forgot betrayal. <laughs> All right. yeah. Fuck betrayal. Yeah, fuck betrayal. <laughs> and we're gonna end by talking about betrayal running on Broadway. Oh, also known as a, a Tom Hill scene. You can masturbate to Tom Hill scene on stage. I, you I have can. a story about it. I have a story about it. I have a story about it. You, 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 you're all gonna have to, you know. Wait until 20 minutes in or fast forward to hear the, the masturbation story. Oh, my God. <laughs> I hope it was a woman, at least. It was a woman. Yeah, because, like, I used to sit in the movie theater in my home country where teenagers would, like, jack off behind people. And you don't want that falling. Like, what if you have, like, a pretty sweater or, like, a nice hair? Do you don't want someone's, like... Yeah, you like, don't want, like, yeah. things flying. No, you don't. flying. Or yeah. your popcorn or your drink. Yeah. Or, well, but then it's kind of... but. It's kind of like that Alanis Morissette song. You all know she goes down on, on Uncle Jesse in the movie theater. and I wish it was Uncle Jesse. It was the other one. It was Dave oh, Coulier. Oh, God. I forgot. Yeah. It was <laughs> not Uncle Jesse. 
Anyway, so I'm pretty sure teenagers have gone down on each other in a the movie theater as well. Yeah, I'm just saying. don't splatter people with don't your fluids. Yeah, no, don't, yeah, if you're going to masturbate, please yeah. clean, clean up after yourself. That's not very polite. So we're going to talk about Wives, which is not about masturbation. Uh, Wives by Jacqueline Backhouse, currently playing at Playwrights Horizons, is a historical play about different uh, wives throughout history and you know from like Kath, uh Catherine Medici to uh, the wives of an Ernest Hemingway and talking about how men's accomplishments overshadow women and I think I love Jacqueline Backhouse's work because even when I don't like the work, I admire the ambition of it because she just always, I feel like her mind is just cosmic because she just, she thinks in like, in terms of centuries and drawing connections between wildly different people and then bringing them to the modern day in a really inventive way so i cannot say i followed it i was able to follow wives the entire time but i can't say i was bored either were you laughing a lot yeah i was and i don't and i don't quite understand like there's a lot of themes going on it's like yes about women but also about i think something that you, that you like to talk about a lot jose which is structure how about like male dominated writing structure and how we need to dismantle that and create a new more feminine driven structure and i think that's what jacqueline is trying to do with this play burn all the men down yes. including me but first let me talk about plays and then you can burn me <laughs> Like, what did you think? I loved it so much. Yeah. I, I like that with her work. And this reminded me of, uh, what's the play with all the men? Men on Boats. Men on Boats. Yeah. Who she, which she also wrote. Yeah. This reminded me of her work there where she's like reclaiming parts of history that women have not been able to feel they're part of because it was only men telling the stories. Mm-hmm. But what I really loved about Wives was that I thought, oh, this is going to be a really cute, like, you know, revisionist History. Yeah, kind of thing. But then it turns into something else that we won't spoil, but it turns into a very personal kind of yeah. memoir play near the end where didn't like that last transition, you know, without giving it away, make you think about Harry Potter? Because I feel like that's a very Harry Potter thing that happened when like the, let's say like the library of the universe like opened up. It didn't actually make me think of anything, but what it did was it kind of tied it all together mm. why all these people were in were occupying the same space and it became like a very subjective work. I just didn't quite understand the inclusion of like the the personal history didn't quite gel together for me. I can't I could I didn't understand it. I felt it was very like as if we were seeing like a stream of consciousness play where maybe Jacqueline, the way I imagined it was that the entire thing takes place in her mind. Mm -hmm. And then she's like trying that. Like, I think that we see a play where people are trying to say something and then what they're trying to say isn't necessarily what they thought they they were going to say when it started. And for me, the last part, which was very... It was kind of like a feminist take on 2001, A Space Odyssey, mm. where the tiny problems of people, men and women, suddenly take on a universal, and not in the cliche way that you're like, let's say universal stories, because not in that way, but in the way that 
what she realized writing this play and writing about these characters and inhabiting this people from history with you know they're all played by actors of color most of them except for for someone that i'll talk about in a second and and seeing this it was kind of like being inside the mind of someone who suddenly realizes that their worldview matters regardless of whether their ancestors are in museums or not or regardless Mm -hmm. of whether we learn about them in school or not and for me that was worth more than you know any of the historical uh aspects of it which i loved it was so funny it was it was so 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 funny like i don't think i i don't think i ever realized i mean men is really funny also but I don't think I ever realized that she had such a knack for comedic timing. Like the first, oh, definitely, yeah, it's yeah. it's hilarious. It's 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 amazing. It's so funny. Well, yeah, I think it's also her use of like contemporary language in a historical setting, mm-hmm. because you know they, these are like women in period gowns going, "Bitch, please." That's amazing. <laughs> and like, I think what's the name of the actor? Uh, which actor are we talking about? The man. The man. Oh, uh, Satya. Sur- Sridharan. So the male actor who is really, you know, for a man to even get noticed in a play that's so much about women and where the female characters and the actors playing them are so good, I have to say that this man gave me probably my favorite version of Ernest Hemingway that I have ever seen. (laughs) He was so funny. He was so funny. And now that means that Corey Stoll in Midnight in Paris is my second favorite Hemingway. Sorry, Mr. Stoll. I have one about Jacqueline's like sometimes she'll hit you over the head with a point. It sounds kind of trite. And then other times she'll like say something that is just so that's all just like so obviously there, but that like, you never really thought about it in that way. Like there is this, the part I loved the most was when Ernest Hemingway's wives were discussing the meaning of the term je ne sais quoi and how it's used to describe women who men just see as sexual objects and they don't, and they don't think to like dissect them as real human beings and they don't know how to describe these these you know multifaceted women so they just say oh I don't know how to describe her the thing is I never quite thought about it in that way but now I'm just so grateful that I had Jacqueline's analysis that's the point of the play I think seeing all of this and how she never saw it when she was growing up and how you never saw it and none of us ever saw something like this and mm-hmm. I was so appreciative for that and I do have to say that you know it's I feel kind of weird like highlighting the one white person in the cast but <laughs> Adina Verson is a treasure she's a gift to all of us that Julia Child <laughs> she plays it's kind of like a what is it like Catherine de Medici's like cook yeah, but yeah. she's like Julia Child that was just such a hoot. Like, I mean, I love her. Like, as much as I love her when she does drama, because she was really good in, what was that play? Um, Indecent. Indecent, yeah. As much as I love her doing drama, this woman doing comedy is like a gift from like the heavens. Yeah, yeah. Well, she also did the Betty play, which yeah, about the vagina. so funny so. in that. No, but all, all the actors are, oh, yeah. yeah, all of them. They're fantastic. But I just kept thinking about Julia Child, and I wanted to mention her. Mm-hmm. All right. Well, let us know what you think of Wives and what you got out of it. It's running until October 6th, and tickets are 49 to $89. But if you're under 35, Playwrights Horizons has a $25 ticket program. And I and they also have a student ticket program, too, for 20 So oh, and I just realized yeah. I saw six, and I saw Wives. Yes! Which, yay for women in color 
women, in period no, costumes. Yay, yeah, yay for women off collar in period costumes. Yay. So was it everything you wanted it to be? Six. We'll, we'll We're not going to review it, but yeah, we'll save that for a talk in the spring. Yeah, let's just say if you follow Jose on Twitter, he he's not shy about how he felt. Let's just say six is my Hamilton. <laughs> Did you know Jose doesn't? like Hamilton very much. I respect it. I don't love it. Six is my Hamilton. All right. Anyway, we'll talk about that one day, hopefully. Uh, Maybe I'll be around one day. No, I think the thing about Hamilton is like where, like it was so well loved. I think we're now in a point where we can safely critique it. Yeah. Without getting like burned. Yeah, yeah. Because there's so much, there's more representation now. Yeah, well, I mean, I and didn't... also Lynn's so famous now that you that you're not gonna hurt him if you say something negative. Oh yeah, I'm sure he doesn't care. What... Yeah, he doesn't care. I wouldn't say anything negative. I just don't love it. But mm. Kudos for, to the people who do. Mm-hmm. Anyway, we're not gonna talk about Hamilton. Then let's talk about our next plays or plays. Yeah. Yeah. Because these are kind of like a a unit thing, yeah, right? Yeah. Except they 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 charge you separately for yeah. both plays. They're so. different plays, but I would say that if you can. Try to see both of them and try to do it the same night because it's you know they're very short. Anyway, we're gonna talk about uh, this is not a theater company's play and theater in the dark. And if you are not familiar with this is not a theater company, have we reviewed their work on our, on our show? No. no, we haven't. If you're not familiar with this is not a theater company, it's a, a theater company. Uh, wow, I've said company so many times. Mm-hmm. Here's <laughs> to the ladies who lunch. lunch. Anyway. Aaron Mee is the founder of This Is Not A Theater Company, and the purpose of This Is Not A Theater Company is to create theater that works beyond the proscenium and beyond what we think that a stage work should do. So they do very experimental works. I've seen works that they've done in a pool. Did you see pool play? I did see pool play, because you recommended it. And we got our feet wet. Yes. And there were canoes. Anyway, like they do immersive shows in houses, they do pool plays. They have a... A show in a subway. Yeah. they And they have a, a play that you can buy for like $2 on the iTunes store that you mm-hmm. can do on the Staten Island Ferry. And it's one of the most breathtaking plays, I guess, that I've uh, ever seen since I moved to New York. Anyway, and this time... Uh, sorry. <clears throat> this time they're doing play first, which is a play about play. <laughs> About playing. About play, play, play. Playing, not theater. Yeah. What's the play about theater? I mean, <laughs> I mean, aren't all plays about theater? Anyway, so in play, we learn about the concept of play and the concept of playing. And that can be theater even, you know, like play act or playing with toys. But one of the things that always fascinates me so much about Aaron's work is that it starts off as very cerebral and very intellectual. And, I mean, I should know better because I've seen pretty much all their work in the past, like, eight years or so. Uh, it always starts, like, very, like, up here, right? And then where the you're head, thinking, yes. yeah, and then where you're thinking, like, oh, my God, is this going to be, like, some heady thing? And and you're like, oh, my God, I haven't had enough caffeine for this. But they never are. And I should know better than that. So I'm always, I'm always very happy that I'm reminded of why I love going to see this company's work. And in play... Let's just say the end of the show, for me at least, was something that I didn't know I needed. But when it happened, I was like, oh yeah, I really needed to do this. It requires audience participation. But the kind that we were even happy to take part in, right? Mm -hmm. 
And they also give you wine. I mean, we can say that so people yeah, will be yeah, afraid. Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. They give you wine. wine. Yeah, so it's not going to be, you know, it's not, you'll see. If you go, you'll see. Um, shall we discuss play first and then go into theater in the dark, or should I give summaries of both plays before heading into them? Um, I think since we saw them in room in rep, we, we okay. should just talk about them together. Okay. So, and next up for theater in the dark, if you like being blindfolded, call yeah. me. <laughs> <laughs> I'll give you my number. <laughs> if you like being blindfolded, which I personally don't, um, this is a play for you. When you enter the Space at Theater Lab, they give you, well, they put like an eye mask on you, like the ones you used to go to sleep and Mine was very cute. It was pink. You put your eye mask on, and then you are led to a place on a dinner table. You don't know who you're sitting next to. You don't know who your companions are. And then during over 45 minutes or so, you are part of a dinner party for the census, basically, where there's sound happening around you. There's touch, and not in like a creepy way. It's a it's a it's a party where the only thing you can't use is your um your your eyes. You can't see what's happening. So it's a very sensual like you have to like submit yourself ooh, fifty shades of grey. You have to submit yourself to a very sensual experience where they feed you. Everything they give you is edible. And they'll do like this kind of like a pairing of tiny bits of food and drink with something else that stimulates the senses and it can either be like a scent a sound a touch what else is there i don't know anyway and then at the end of the dinner you they turn the lights on and you go home and that is it yeah yeah the thing about these plays is like they're not they're not plot based it's very much a meditation on a certain theme and what i really like about their work is like you're invited to just kind of meditate on your own while in the theater because you're like you're not required to like listen to it or be actively listening to it the the entire time because like for play at certain points i was listening to to the to the dancer speak and other times i was just like watching his movements and getting distracted by what looked like blood on his feet but it was not blood I thought it was blood also. It was yeah, just I thought it was right. blood. I yeah. was just like, what's going to happen? But it was not blood, so it was fine. Mm-hmm. What, I, what I think essentially they do, is, especially in these two works, is that they manage to almost distill the cerebral and turn it into something sensual. And it, I, I have to say that after leaving, I felt like, you know, it kind of feels like a little spa day. Mm-hmm. You're like so mm-hmm. relaxed and you're like, oh, wow. No, it's not a stressful theater experience, no. as, as, especially the second one. I actually, this is like the second time I've seen a show in the dark and, uh, or blindfolded. And you know what? I really enjoy enjoy it. I mean, granted, you ha- you need to, there's a loss of control there, and and there's like a and if, what it forces you to do is like be hyper aware of your surroundings, and you know I and that that means like. It was so funny. Like, Jose was next to me, but I didn't know that they placed him next to me, but I heard him sigh at some point, and then I realized, oh, I know that. 
And then I was like fucking with him the entire time. But she stole my drinks. Don't <laughs> steal people's drinks. She stole all my booze, and she only left me like vegetable stuff. Vegetables so good for you. Don't do that. Don't do that to your companions. If yeah, you, don't mess with the people yeah. next to you. If you identify them, do not steal their mimosas. <laughs> It's not my fault you were slow and you couldn't get to them in time. Well, it's not my fault you drink like, uh, <laughs> like a sailor. <laughs> <laughs> But no, I, I mean, did I get what they wanted me to get from it? I don't think I did. But I, but I still enjoyed it. it. It was still like a relaxing experience for me, which is, which is when it's a plotless situation. I feel like that's the bare minimum. I no, I you know I I think I really upset. do like stuff in the dark. Yeah. yeah. Mm, okay. Oh. Keeps boyfriend. Oh gosh. Oh, he, he listens to our podcast. He knows. Whenever he blindfolds you, I'm gonna go and I'm gonna steal your champagne. <laughs> <laughs> oh, a question. Do you recommend people see this um, in tandem with each other because they're charged separately, or if you could recommend one more, which one would you recommend? Probably theater in the dark. Yeah. Same. Yeah. Because it's same. The more you know, it's. The much more like central of both and yeah i enjoyed it a lot despite you torturing me and yeah. stealing my booze yeah you'll be in touch with yourself more than you normally would be i yeah. think and, yeah. and not in a sexual way no and it's not even like one of those like bullshit like new agey like meditation like you know guided meditation kind of thing. this is not a meditation either it's just it like could be yeah no but it, but it's like so like central and so like You know, like I felt like I was. They feed in, you, yeah. Yeah, I felt like I was, I was in touch with parts of myself that I didn't even know I had. Ooh, yeah, that's very sensual. Yeah, not sexual though. <laughs> not sexual. Let's move not on. Not masturbatory like this next play. Yeah. <laughs> Amen. Welcome to betrayal. Oh wait, oh wait, no, 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 we're not betrayal yet. We gotta tell people what things cost. Okay, so if you're interested, both play and theater in the dark are playing until September 29th. Uh, play is $25 and theater in the dark is $30. And if you can only see one, we recommend theater in the dark. They're both very affordable. Though. Like if you go yeah. to both, like it's probably like the price of a rush ticket, basically, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah, and you should support indie theater. Yes. Anyway, masturbatory, go. Betrayal. Betrayal. <laughs> the longest Done. perfume ad of all time. <laughs> If you don't know the plot of Betrayal, it's not important because it's basically about two men who want to have sex with the same women. And let's just say it's merrily we roll along without any of the joy from the music. Um, they want to know what my summary of the play is. My summary is Loki from Thor and Daredevil from oh, <laughs> are both Daredevil. want to fuck the same woman and they do not want to do a three-way. Isn't Wouldn't that be like the easiest? Right? Yeah. I feel very lucky to have seen the previous Broadway incarnation of Betrayal. Oh, wow. I did it. Yeah. Starring Daniel Craig and Rachel Weisz and I think it was Timothy Spall's son or whatever. And that sucked, but I feel lucky <laughs> because somehow it was better than the current revival. I do feel very grateful, though, because that Daniel Craig uh, revival was directed by Mike Nichols, and that was his last show Aww. on Broadway, and I got to see Mike Nichols' work on Broadway. So anyway, back to this nightmare. I really only... I haven't read reviews for it. Like, do people, do people like this revival? Yes. Even, like, the woke people? 
Yes. Really? Why? Uh, I I I only looked at the show score score. Oh, okay. Okay. No, do you think it's because? Do you think? It's because you don't like the play or you don't like the production. Because I know for me, I don't like the play. I feel like it's a masturbatory exercise, and Ibsen wrote it based on his own, you know, extramarital affairs while it was happening. And there's no character development. There's no interiority there. It's just a bunch of shit that happens, and people don't want to talk to each other. But and I mean, that's his work. So I don't. Yeah, I'll enjoy Ibsen yeah, for that reason. I don't necessarily love like. Mr. I'm just sorry, Pinter. not Ibsen. Blah, Pinter. Yeah. I don't enjoy Pinter for that reason. Yeah. But that was a photo slip. Do you not enjoy Ibsen also? No, no, no. I know. I and I don't have. I don't know enough about Ibsen. To oh, okay. Have yeah, like he's that. just. He loves his dudes. He loves like men who like suffer and who are assholes and who are terrible to so, their wives. Yeah. Jacqueline Backhouse, go get him. <laughs> Attack. Isn't he dead? Yeah, he's dead, but you yeah. know, he could still be... We could still listen, hear from his wives. Well, he's still hunting us. Yeah. Anyway, no, I don't mind the play. I mean, I, it's not my favorite. I don't necessarily love it. I don't, I don't love it either, but yeah. it's like, people go apeshit over it. I'm just like, what is this? But this production was just so lame. It was so bad. Like, I feel that Tom Hiddleston and Charlie Cox got together and they were like, wait, we're making how much on Broadway per week? And someone was like, well, this much. And they were like, what if we made at, made without sets? And what if we had no production design, but like lights? And what? And, and the moving wall. Don't forget the wall that moves. And costumes. They're like, could we, the money we save in costumes and sets, can we get that money? And someone probably was like, sure, why not? And they're like, and let's not even bother buying the actress shoes. <laughs> because we need the money for our salaries. No, I don't know how this works, but... And I'm sure that Tom Hiddleston and Charlie Cox are lovely people. But this play was not lovely at all. I just don't like the play. And I think the production suffered because I didn't like the play. I think I think the actors did the best with what they were given. I mean, okay, I think I, I feel like the how you feel about the play, maybe it depends on the actors. If you believe that the actors like each other so much that they can't help but have an affair... And mm. I believed, I believed it. Did you believe it? No. Oh, okay. For me, they were all act- acting in their own little play. Like everyone was doing something completely different. And you know, Charlie Cox, I, I thought was very moving, given what he had to do. But oh, Charlie Cox, I, I liked him the least. Yeah, and well, I, I, I mean, if I have to choose, like the lesser of like three evils, I he was the one that that I liked the most. I found him, I found him to be the most like. The one that had most empathy mm. for, because uh, yeah, like all these people, like all their problems could be solved if they were just like so basic. Yeah, if they were like, you know what, like I'm not in love with you, or like, hey, you know what, like can we open our marriage, or like, hey, you know what, can we have a threesome, right? Like, yeah, it's, yeah, it's just like this people drowning themselves in this like glass of water, and I think that's the point of the play, though. Just people, God, white people. <laughs> yeah, I like. I talked to my boyfriend who's Italian. I told him what the play's about, and he's like, "That sounds like some British shit." If they yeah. were Italians, they would just be throwing stuff at each other. Yeah, and they would just be having sex with each <laughs> other. Yeah, because I think I think you know, like at, at the very beginning of this production, I even thought for a second about Brief Encounter, David Lean's film starring Celia Johnson, which is one of the most like. 
oh, rapturous, like beautiful mm, movies about yeah. a about a love affair like ever made. But yeah, this and, is not brief encounter. Yeah, and did did you see the theatrical version of it? It was gorgeous. Oh, the one Damon Donna was in. No, no, I don't know the one that Knee High Theater Company from England did at oh, Roundabout. No. But, yeah. but Damon Donna was in it. You remember? Oh that? yeah. I mean, I, I didn't see it because I didn't leave here. But remember, there was like a band at some point. I yeah, guess, yeah. And Damon was part of the band. What? Yeah. Anyway, who was who was who was the women in Brief Encounter? Who was I don't lead? remember, but it was just like they got the they they portrayed what it was like to like fall in love with someone again. That's why you risk everything for that. And that's what betrayal should be, right? Yeah. Yeah. Not but two men like getting drunk, and and you know like this production bothered me so much because. I think the directorial choices were very off because, you know, like we have no set, we have no props, we literally have no shoes for the actress. And that's something that I cannot understand. <laughs> Both of the men had shoes, right? <laughs> Remember? Yeah. So can you tell me what was the, can you make sense of what was the reasoning behind her being the only one with no shoes? I Maybe mean, she's the one who's most like sensual and down to earth and she just wants to feel things by not having shoes by not having shoes jesus and then like you know like we go from like they even go to venice and there's no like set like there's not even like a projection which it would have made it even worse but you know like we could have had something right yeah nothing for venice however when they go to an italian restaurant they get a table with like fake tablecloth yeah Yeah. and one of the most horrific like cliched performances of an Italian person that I have ever seen on stage. Mm-hmm. Oh, it was bad. It was yeah. bad, yeah. And it's like we're like in the middle of this like nonsense with offensive cultural stereotypes, mm-hmm. as if as if it couldn't get any worse. Yeah, and it must have been because of just lack of chemistry. But I didn't feel the chemistry between um, Tom Hilston and Zoe Ashton, and they and they're playing husband and wife, and so you need chemistry between them in order to. Under in order to feel any kind of loss when she tells him I'm having a, I'm having an affair, and then she does that. I'm just like, oh, well, that's a thing that happened, and I just read nothing. Tom from Hiddleston their only yeah. had chemistry with Tom Hiddleston. Yeah, or or Charlie Cox. They had chemistry. Did they? But I, well, I mean, I wouldn't mind seeing the makeout. Exactly. See, Thruple. Yeah, a throuple will solve all of your problems. Yeah, I think the problem with this play was the direction. I I don't think the director knows what they were doing. Uh, uh, the, you know, I did not like her performance at all. She was, you know, if Tom Hiddleston and Charlie Cox were not great, she was just. I liked her. She tried. She tried. No one had chemistry, but she tried. Well, I mean, she tried to do like some. She was like posing, and she was like talk talking, and she's saying like betrayal. This is time for betrayal. <laughs> You betrayed me. Yeah, not, not even. Not, I would just say betrayal, like, constantly. And, I, you know, like, I, I feel that her performance was too, like, stylized, I feel, for what the what this mess of a production was doing. And if Tom Hiddleston and Charlie Cox were going for, like, the more, like, naturalistic way, not, not I don't that know I'm what say- they were going for. I have no idea either. But not that I'm saying that they were right either. But her performance was so... I thought she was doing like a character within a character. And that would have been interesting to see if the play had invited us to see that. If the production the director had been like, oh, these are all, pe- these are, uh, these are all people playing other people because they're so messed up and I think that's inside. what they were trying to do. Well. And it was just beige. Kind yeah. of like the walls of that set. Yeah. 
I mean, it does make for a lovely perfume ad, though. Mm-hmm. Betrayal by Christian Tior. <laughs> Betrayal by Versace. Oh, but the thing that saved it for me was like I was sitting in front of like these Tom Hillstein fangirl fangirls who were just squealing the entire time, and and, it, and then today I found out that apparently there's a Tom Hillstein fangirl who went to the show. And then this is on Twitter, so you can find it. And someone said that they were there and they saw her masturbating. No. No. Oh my God. <laughs> no. Was she like in the orchestra? Yeah. No. In seat. Um, we, I have it. I have it. She was in row B. No. Well, you know what, girl? Yeah. Row B3. Seat B3. You know what, girl? Good for you for... Getting you your know, money's worth. Yeah. Good for you. I hope you cleaned your, the seat afterwards. Yeah. And Broadway producers who just love to star fuck, I really hope the money is worth it. Yeah. But also this girl could very well be a brilliant performance artist who was trying to remind us that less than 30 years ago, all the Broadway theaters were basically like peep shows and porn theaters, right? So maybe we are in the presence of the next Marina Abramovich, who was like, I am going to go masturbate at a play about that's all about masturbation, right? It's a masturbatory play. Yeah. So girl, brava. All right, Jose, you you can masturbate in a theater, Jose Solis. Well, yeah, I mean, I'm not gonna, <laughs> I'm not gonna pay for your like bail fees or whatever. Okay, um, let's see. Uh, okay, betrayals running until December eighth, and tickets are twenty five to one eighty nine. So if you are a college student and want to masturbate to Tom Hilston, it's only twenty five dollars. Put it in the poster. <laughs> Jesus. Next, yeah. Next up, we have a fantastic guest, one of the most brilliant people working in theater, Tanya Pinkins, who you know for her incredible work in Carolina Change and for her Tony-winning performance in Jelly's Last Jam. But this time around, we are not going to talk to Tanya Pinkins about acting, but about directing, because she's directing a series of short plays at the tank called Truth and Reconciliation, Women Working It Out. So we talked to Tanya Pinkins and choreographer Brianna Reed about this exciting feminist project. Let's go check that out. Thank you both for joining us. Thank Can you. you. Talk a little bit about what the series is. Uh, so at the tank, we're going to do uh, seven to eight of what are, I have over 20 10-minute plays by and about women, multicultural, multigenerational, about the ways in which women harm one another, the ways women oppress one another, and modeling ways that women can heal those wounds. And I was inspired to create it because I was in the room of the Time's Up Now movement before it went public. Oh, And so I was sitting in these rooms with what we think of as the most powerful, high-profile women in Hollywood, and actually experiencing them to not only not have a certain kind of personal power, but to actually be silencing and oppressing other women in a space where their intention was exactly the opposite. And so I thought, as a theater maker, what can I do that maybe one day they might perform in and then like to start changing the amygdala and giving them a new file of what, what is possible. So that's what, uh, 
it came from, and I sent out a, a call to my writer friends and said, write me a 10-minute play from something that happened to you personally, from something that you know that happened historically, from something that you know probably did happen historically, even though we don't have a record. And people, it's easy to write the fight. And I was like, mm -hmm. okay, so yeah, that person got to get their thing out. Okay, now, um, work it out. They got to fix it. <laughs> you get to play God and make this situation resolve itself. And I got to see how the other person gets to, to, to have their say about, you know, their, their contrition, their amends or whatever about that. And, and you said there's 20 plays, but you're presenting only eight at the tank. Yes. And so is it going to be a recurring event? Well, for me, I think there's an unlimited number of these stories. So I yeah. keep collecting them. And yes, I think it's, it should be like a, uh, a, a, a festival and a published group of plays that people can take into their communities and then they can take the ones that speak to them and then they can find the ones that speak to their community. So it's my hope that it'll travel around the world and we're going to videotape them this time. Oh, wow. Brianna is choreographing all of the, the pieces so that they move as if they're uh, one whole evening rather than just a stop and start of plays and we're going to video it so maybe we'll make them webisodes or maybe they'll stream because there's just no end to these stories. Brianna, can you talk a little bit about how you came onto the project? Yes, so I met Miss Pinkins, Sonia Pinkins, at um, 50-50 by 2020, which was a wonderful program uh, that I was talking about the Time's Up. Came out of Time's Up now. Yeah, and that I performed at, and so she was able to see me dance there, and we saw each other again, reconnected, and she brought said, would you like to read these, these plays and think about choreographing some dance to them? So I read them, and I was just up all night reading them. I couldn't stop. Like, it spoke to me in such a visceral way. And so for me, it was important to figure out how dance fit in without being a distraction, but it really was the connective tissue um, that brought the stories to the forefront um, and, and sort of foretold and also honored them um, through movement. So that's what I'm really trying to do is bring dance in. Miss um, Pingens mentioned it being a choreo poem, which I thought mm -hmm. was just so beautiful. And, and taking all of these different plays, which are set in different times and about different things, but all have, as you spoke of, that connective tissue of women, women having issues, but then coming to a place where they can work it out, which doesn't often happen. And isn't often um, brought to the forefront. And the things that we see, as you said, the fight is easy, but we don't often get the joy of the reconciliation. And that is what is healing. And that's what really, I think, spoke to me and excited me about working with you. I mean, just the awe of it all, of course, but just that and, and healing myself along with getting to work on this amazing project. So that's where I am with it and what I hope that is translated through the movement and just working with these amazing actors who don't think they're dancers, <laughs> but are absolutely visually stunning. She makes us look stunning. To look at. I mean, the power, and it's like, 
I get chills looking at them. So it's it's just beautiful, and I think that people that see it are going to be moved and touched and so and there's a lot of laughter too yes and there's laughter they're funny they're funny they're painful they're true and they and it works out in a way that unburdens both people that sounds so exciting and you know traditionally when we see an evening of several plays what happens is that the lights go off and or the curtain closes and then we lose that like the momentum that's been growing and maybe this is a very esoteric question to ask a choreographer but what was your process in finding the movement to connect all of these plays so I think the plays spoke to the movement like it's not me um making movement for the plays it's the place making movement for themselves and the movement just coming to me so for example something like Tierra um that Tierra de las Flores by Glory Kagan (laughs) (laughs) that play is very um really it delves into um the uh, tradition of Orishas and things like that. So that movement, um, studying with uh, different choreographers who really study those Cuban traditions, that is something I'm very familiar with. So then it was like, oh, which Orisha would really fit this play? Oh, I know, Ogun, because he's the Orisha of of, of metal and war and we need to figure out how to get in this situation and fix it and that's what this character is going to come in and do so this is the perfect thing and what what are these plays speaking to so that's how the movement really came to me and I just sit read the play think about it and just let some things come what I loved when I was reading, you know, the eight plays <laughs> that we received was that you know, it, it was talking about conflict, but it wasn't y- using men as the person to blame for this conflict. It's more like how do we, as women, uphold and oppress each other? So when you were talking to the playwrights about writing these plays, like was that a uh, that was direction the they gave you? That oh, was specifically the prompt. Oh, wow. The prompt was you have to find a moment in history or contemporarily where a woman is oppressing another woman. And I want you to show me that conflict. And then I dramaturged with the, with the playwrights. Mm-hmm. And so then I, you know, the conflict was easy to write. And I was like, okay, yeah, would, would, would you be satisfied if that person just cried? Is that the answer you were looking for? <laughs> okay, well, write what you really need them to do <laughs> for you to feel. And the the answers are surprising. Like what yeah. person feels like is their solution is very different in each of the plays. So I didn't police um, the, the resolution, but I required a resolution. Mm. One of the plays you wrote, and I was I started reading till hell freezes over, and I started in a place of anger. I was like, because it's about you know you plays Emmett Till's mom and the white women who falsely accused them of harassing her, which led to his murder yes and you place them together in the afterlife and I started reading it and I was so furious at this woman Carol and by the end of the play you take us on a, a, a journey where I was so moved and how do you take us from anger to to being moved and I wonder if writing this play specifically helps you I don't think understand is the right word but if it helps you you know come to terms with what's going on when we see today 
black men and black children. Yeah. Killed. I mean, like, <sighs> Till Hell Freezes Over is, is, is part of a, there's a, I have a trilogy of plays in the afterlife, and one of them is also between, uh, that's Carol Bryant and Mamie Till, but I also have one between Rachel Jackson, Andrew Jackson's wife, and let the mother of Lynn Coyna. A lot mm-hmm. of people don't know that Andrew Jackson massacred a village and one infant lived mm-hmm. and he adopted it and sent it home. And so I wrote a play in the afterlife where Rachel Jackson arrives in the afterlife and thinks she's there to be a missionary mm-hmm. and to save some more people even in heaven. And the mother of Lynn Coyna is like, mm, no, actually you get to go through me <laughs> to get to to the, the afterlife and and it becomes this battle and uh, you know she's like look what I did for your child I did this and I did this and she said you took his ancestor from him you didn't give him the herbs you didn't do the this and they're fighting over each of them feeling that their their thing is valid and and Rachel refuses to apologize and Mother Helen Coyne is like so I'm going to do to you what, what Andrew did to us I'm going to skin you and turn you into bags and saddles and, and like she's got the, 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 the tomahawk and she's ready to do it and they burst into laughter and they go that was so much fun who are you going to be the next time you go down and live and she's like well I don't have to go anymore I've already done everything I have to do mm-hmm. and so for me it's in thinking about it it's this trying to look at all of this that we live in from the high place of that there is a um, there is a God and whatever that is for you, and it is all things. And if there is a devil, it's God's devil. And so whatever we're looking at, it's all a manifestation of the all, and it is all good, and it is all evolving towards higher levels of good. Even if in the moment we experience it, it doesn't seem that way. It is still part of a process and a movement towards something higher and better. Part of the process for me was I was interested, I'm very interested in neuroscience mm-hmm. and the fact that we know that our brain doesn't show us the world as it is. It shows us a prediction of the world we expect to be there based on the files. So mm-hmm. I think of theater as as close as you can get in an entertainment format to an experience which has the potential to alter the amygdala and add a new file. So when we come to the theater, there's a, a we, we're doing it online this time. We've done it as paper before, where there are five questions, you know, sort of something that sets you demographically. Uh, do you owe amends to anybody? Does anybody owe amends to you? How likely is it to happen, and what would it take? And then you watch the plays, and then you do the questionnaire again. And then we usually have a therapist, and we do a talk back. And people start telling stories that, you know, they had forgotten or people start and they're like, I'm so angry at that person. And then they think of something in their own life. And the feedback that we've gotten from people is that it is very powerful when you show them situations that really we've been taught or we imagine can't be resolved, that the people are in such irreconcilable places. Mm -hmm. And then you see someone come up with a solution I think it opens a pathway inside of your mind for thinking of where that exists in your own situations in life. I think in theater, somewhere along the way, people forgot that theater is, in many ways, a town hall where we don't come to be, you know, we don't come to be lectured, but we come to be part of a conversation. And it seems that with this series, you're trying to reclaim that. Mm. And I mean, your work speaks for itself. You're always doing work that talks about social issues and why they're so important to you. And Brianna, you work with students and you work with young people. So 
to all those young people who feel that theater has not been historically a place for them, what would you tell them about? No, actually, yeah, come, let's let's talk. Yeah, come and let's talk. And come and, like, for me, it's like I want people to, I want forgiveness and amends to be juicy and sexy. That's what I told them. Like, we're going to fight, fight really hard. But, like, when you make up, it is a good thing. Like, each person is unburdened. So, for me, that's what we're selling. We're selling the sexiness of forgiveness. Mm. I want that on a t-shirt. <laughs> I mean, makeup sex is the best. Anyway. Right? That's kind of it. That's what we're selling. That's what we're selling. That's what we're selling. already know. Oh, my goodness. Well, since, well, this project was inspired by the the Time's Up movement, partially. And so there have been a lot of complaints about how it really hasn't hit theater in the same way. And people who have been accused of wrongdoing continue to get work. I mean, no one's really canceled. You can't. And so do you have a theory about why it hasn't hit the performing arts in the same way as it did Hollywood? I'm not laughing at you. I don't have a theory. I actually have insider information. So I have to be very careful of how I speak here. Um, I'm going to quote Yuval Harari. And what Yuval Harari says, he wrote Homo Deus and Sapiens and 21 Lessons for the 21st Century, that the fiction is one of the greatest organizing factors for homo sapiens, the lie. And that the every big organization has a central fiction at its core. And that homo sapiens prefer power to truth. And that if you are going to go through life and you want power, you're going to have to give, away, give up on truth. And if you want truth, you're going to have to give up on power. That truth does not reach the center of what are powerful organizations in our culture. So what I have experienced from the inside and watching of these powerful organizations or these uh, famous organizations is that there's what is being talked about and there's what is being done. And um, that effort is not there. Mm-hmm. It just really doesn't exist. It's a lot of talk. Um, I will say that I resigned my position at Actors' Equity because they, I, I sent out to the membership uh, a proposal to create a third-party reporting system for people who had been um, sexually assaulted. Um, I knew that the elected would not would not vote it up, which is why I sent it to the membership, which meant I had to get somebody in every region to put it forth. The membership overwhelmingly voted that they wanted it implemented and funded. Um, while I was doing that, uh, the folks at the Lilies were also bringing that group into the to town to talk. They, the organization Callisto offered a discount for this, mm-hmm. and um, it was it was voted down. Um, even though the membership wanted it, it was voted down, and. Um, I resigned in protest, and they were like, you have a fiduciary obligation to stay silent. I said, you need to sue me, because this is a, a, a public, this is a matter of public interest. This is freedom of speech, public interest. You are actively protecting predators. I, I will not participate, and you will not silence me about it. So sue me if, if that's what you want to do, because, um, yeah, there's a lot of talk about it. And in one of my conversations, uh, someone told me that, you know, they were, I was 
lobbying for the third party reporting because we cannot police ourselves. We need jobs. Mm -hmm. We can't police someone that we've got to hire or someone who's got to hire us. So the way the director, right? The third party reporting, it's web based. So you can make the report as close to the incident as possible. It's time stated to save it for, um, for evidence in a court, but then it's there. So you've unburdened yourself in some way. You haven't had to feel a lack of trust with who you've done it. You've done it with a, an algorithm. Um, and then you can decide when, if ever, you want to do something. And maybe never. But the other part of the system is the system then lets you know if someone else reports the same predator. So now it's coming back to you. Someone else has reported them. Do you want to go forward? You don't have to. But it's now keeping track of all these people. And so so suddenly you have this body of information. One of the people I spoke with, you know, sort of being dismissive, and she said, you know, someone called me and told me that 50 years ago they went to an audition and a producer took off his shirt. And I was like, and I'm like, the man's been thinking about it for 50 years. He's been looking for somebody to tell it. And someone taking off their shirt 50 years ago is different than someone taking off their shirt now. That person's been holding that. And I really have this belief that there are so many people who are artists who have left the business because of these kinds of incidents. And just the creating of a place to unburden themselves with it would heal those people. And as one of the the people who I interviewed for these Heal Me Too talks, she said she was a, a child opera person. And they told all the children that the lead opera singer uh, hated children. But what it actually was, she learned, was that they were a pedophile. Oh. And um, so she was like, they put us in danger because God forbid we were ever alone with that person and they were nice to us. We would have thought we were somehow special. But she said that person shouldn't have the job. All of the repercussions that they were causing in the whole thing. There's someone as talented who could be a positive influence. She talked about another opera singer who was kind and gentle and encouraged other people like... All this time and energy we spend on people because they're talented. So what? Where's their humanity? Let's go with the humanity. And and however much talent that is, I think it more than balances off their talent if they don't have humanity. Mm. Wow. How do we get you to run for attorney general? (laughs) (laughs) Like I said, I am committed to truth. And power and truth do not go together. Mm-hmm. You know, they don't go together. Mm. Or how can viewers, listeners support like third-party reporting or and uh, like they yeah, should uh, initiatives they, for theater? Uh, they should lobby for uh, organizations like Callisto to be implemented in their by their employers. They should tell their employers they want them to uh, to pay into. Organizations like Callisto, which is a place where they can make these reports, and it is held third party. And remember, the more organizations that Callisto has, the more information they have. So we have this huge database of people, and it's you know you can report something from 50 years ago because those people don't stop. They mm-hmm. do it, you know. There's life; they're lifelong predators. Mm-hmm. So it's you know there's no end to the value of having that information. Yeah. It's like bad, bad theater men. Brianna. Uh, Tanya, thank you so much thank for joining you. us. Would you like to invite our viewers and our listeners to come see Truth and Reconciliation? Oh, because I also forgot to mention this, and I love that the tank makes it so affordable and yes. so accessible. Yes, that was very important yeah. to us. Uh, we're going to be playing October 3rd through October 6th at the tank, which is 312 West 36th Street. 
Um, we have like a eight o'clock on eight o'clock on the third and the fourth, and then on the fifth, three and three and eight, three and eight, and three on the sixth, three three and eight on the fifth, and and three o'clock on the sixth. So at the tank, you can buy your tickets online now. Three twelve with thirty sixth Street, and we'll hope you'll come down and share with us. Yeah. Oh yeah. documentary Raul Julia the world's a stage which premiered on PBS I think on Friday September 13th and I was struck because you know I, I mostly know Raul Julia from his work in the Adams family and some of the movie work that I've seen of his including Kiss of the Spider Women and considering the fact that he died in 1994 when I was eight and not living in New York City I never got to see him do any of the stage work and watching the documentary uh, directed by Ben de Jesus, one of the things that struck me the most was were the scenes in which we saw Raul Julia on stage because he was, did you know, for instance, that he was one of the very first actors who used his natural accent, his Puerto Rican accent oh, to do Shakespeare. No. And apparently that's one of the reasons why Joe Papp loved him so much because mm. he was like, he told people like Shakespeare doesn't belong to white people he doesn't belong to the british yeah. or white americans he belongs to all of us and he made sure that every time he did shakespeare he sounded like a puerto rican character what? yeah and i love that so much and watching the whole documentary which has like interviews with people like edward james olmos and rita moreno and ruben blades and john leguizamo and all these other people he inspired it made me think God, like, I would have given anything to see Raul Julia on stage, especially because I think he would have liked our podcast. Oh, God, I sound like Justin Bieber saying, like, Anne Frank would be a believer. But no, <laughs> I think, you know, once you see it, you'll see, like, he, all of his values align so much with the things that we are talking about these days. Mm -hmm. And I was so sorry that, you know, there seems to be, like, a missing link once he died. He was just like in his early 50s when he died. Oh, wow. And there was like a missing link between, you know, that person who wanted to do so much for representation, who was like, fuck all of this like system nonsense and let's include people of color, let's include Latinos, let's include black people, let's include Asian people in theater. And, and then he's gone and we don't have that for a while until mm -hmm. recently when we started talking about all of that again. So after watching that documentary and being very sad and also thinking how hot Raul Julia was when he was young yeah you should because you know like we were talking earlier about plays that we don't like mm -hmm. but when the production is so good that we just like overlook that yeah and in this play there are scenes from The Taming of the Shrew which is one of Arlie's favorite plays ever but watching Raul Julia as Petruchio and Meryl fucking Streep as Katharina. What? Yeah. Was just like so mind blowing that I thought we could talk about some of the performances and some of the plays that we would borrow someone's time machine to go see because we're mm. young and we didn't see them. Do you want to start us off? Yeah, I do. Like, no, when, when you told me the prompt, like the first thing that came into my mind was seeing 
was seeing a was seeing Julie Andrews do My Fair Lady because growing up I only had the movie My Fair Lady and even though Audrey I love Audrey Hepburn but you know girl can't sing and she was dubbed and it should have been Julie Andrews who did it and I would have liked to see Julie Andrews back when she had the full use of her voice and to like you know we love divas here on the podcast and to be witness to like one of the the preeminent musical theater divas at the height of her craft that would have been really nice but sadly there's no videos for that because there were no cameras <laughs> yeah there are no bootlegs there no thanks like, for nothing theater i mean at least we have our cast recording we do have the cast recording it's very sad mm-hmm Speaking of divas, I would have, I would give my kidney and my firstborn and actually all the children that I, if I, if someone was like, give me all your children, I would give all of them. Mm -hmm. If I could go to the spring of 1964 to the Winter Garden Theater and see Barbara Streisand doing Funny Girl. Oh, it's not enough to see Barbara do Funny Girl the movie? Well, I mean, no. (laughs) No, can you imagine seeing Barbara on, on stage? Well, I, 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 I'm not as I, I don't love Barbara as much as. Fine, don't do. be a gay man. Well, I'm not. I can't. I can't appropriate that. Okay, fine. <laughs> anyway, Barbara Streisand was so incredible, apparently, in this in this performance, and it was mm-hmm. like her first big Broadway role. And you know, one of the reasons why she uh, probably never came back to the stage after that was because uh, the critics were horrible. Like, one of the critics wrote something. They mostly talked about her face and how she, they thought she wasn't attractive. And the reviews were about that. And then Barbara, being Barbara, kind of wanted to prove to the world, like, hey, you know what? Like, you might not think I'm, like, Fuck hot it, enough yeah. for you. So I'm going to show you how it's done. And I'm going to become the biggest star in the world. And That was her star is born yeah. moment. And I don't need your Tonys. I don't need your, like, Broadway approval. I'm going to go have sex with some of the hottest men Mm-hmm. Of the of this generation, and I'm gonna sell like a hundred million records, and I'm gonna win an Oscar, and then, you know, the year that Funny Girl was on Broadway, um, Hello Dolly was also on Broadway, so Hello Dolly won like all the Tonys, and like Carol Channing won the Tony that I don't even know mm-hmm. if Barbara was nominated for, but anyway, so what did Barbara Streisand, being Barbara Streisand, do? She played Dolly in the movie. At the age, at the ripe old age of what, twenty six? She was probably like twenty six, but she was like, <laughs> but she was like, see, I don't even need your Hello Dolly on stage because I'm gonna do the movie version. So bye, everyone. So once again, white male theater critics ruined everything. They did. You should not go back and read the reviews they mm. gave her because they're horrible. They're so 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 mean. Yeah, and you know she didn't listen to them. She did. She didn't get that nose job. No, thank God. Exactly. Be true to yourself, everybody. Yes. That is the theme of. All the famous people, they are authentically themselves, so you should be yourself. Especially if you're Barbara. Exactly. Or if you want to be a Barbara. <laughs> Who else would you go back in time and see? Yeah. So, like, years years ago, I think it was, like, 20, 2013, I saw this play called um, Red Velvet by Lolita Chakrabarty, which was about uh, Ira, Ira Aldridge, like, one of the first black actors to play Othello on stage. And he played an opposite white woman, and you know, shit went down because controversial. But this is like in the nineteenth century, and so we don't have any, you know, video records of that. But I, 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 I've always wanted to see like what the acting style was, like 
a hundred years ago, but because it was just, it must have been so, it was so different from what we consider acting today and what Shakespeare considered acting. Like acting styles develop over time. And so I would have loved to, and we can't recreate it because we don't know what it looks like. So, but I would have loved to see someone who, you know, got up on stage despite criticism, despite over, like very overt racism and being the only one ever to do it at that point and see what that kind of what that brings to the performance even if it is a very problematic play but yeah poor guy did he make it out alive oh yeah he did oh, yeah. he did he, he, he was an actor for his entire life because if they're racist today so i don't even want to imagine what they were like back then mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. yeah and he couldn't do it in america because america is way too racist so he made most of his living in europe that's so sad mm-hmm. i recently heard about a cuban actor I don't remember her name. That apparently she was so great that Sarah Bernhardt herself came from Paris to see her in Cuba. Wow! Yeah, and they didn't even they didn't even perform in the same languages. Like, and that's how beautiful it must have been back then. Because like you you didn't need like super titles or didn't you didn't need like hearing aids. Sarah Bernhardt was like a star, even though she was French. She was the biggest star in the world. Mm -hmm. So. I'll have to figure out the name of this actress. And if anyone, if any of our listeners know who I'm talking about, please let us know. So Sarah Bernhardt came all the way from Paris to go see her in Cuba. And she invited her backstage. And then when Sarah Bernhardt came to see her, the actress was like, what are you doing here? You're Sarah Bernhardt. And you know what Sarah Bernhardt said? What'd she say? I just had to come see the greatest living actress. Isn't oh my god, sweet? so humble. You know, legends, legends supporting legends. And they did, they did absinthe and like hash. <laughs> they didn't speak the same language. Yeah. I mean, what was going on? I mean, drink, drink, girls, drink. Yeah. See, that, that, that was one of the, that was like, and I don't want to get all like a theater story, but like that was one of the things that actually bothered me about Bernhardt and Hamlet, you know, that Teresa Rebeck play we reviewed last year because it made it seem like she pioneered naturalistic acting when she did it. That was not her thing. Oh, she probably was like, oof, uh, she must have been insane on stage. All right. Um, anything else? I mean, there's so many people that we could talk about, but I think we would love to hear from all of you because who would mm-hmm. you, yeah, who would you create a time machine for who you would borrow a time machine for to go see? Because, man, and you know, like when we talk about things like that, it's one of the moments when all the people out there who think critics suck, this is why critics matter. Many times, the only records of these performances are what critics had to say. Yeah, even if the only records are negative ones. Yeah, and I was going to say, and if the critic was not some misogynistic white dude, even better. But most of them were misogynistic. Yeah, but in a hundred years when the aliens come and the human race is wiped out, we'll have the records of all the theater that happened in 2020. Yeah, and if the aliens are listening to us, do a drinking game every time we curse. Mm. Or... Or talk about different divas. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, God. Musicals. Or masturbation. Gotta be drunk in no time. All right. Cheers, aliens. Hi, aliens. (laughs) So, thank you all for listening. Please rate us on iTunes. Leave us a review. It helps people find us. And if you're interested in seeing the video that we did with Tanya Pinkins, please check YouTube. Um, Anything else you want to say to people, Jose? Have fun at the theater. All right. See you at the theater. And remember, theater is more fun when you take a friend. Bye. Bye.